Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Activate Project Restart. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and this week we're going to have to do something different because once again, the hot topic in football is that there's no football. This means we'll be discussing all the potential ramifications for a season that may or may not come to a conclusion, but it also means it's time for more ifs, buts and maybes. I don't know what will happen, nor does Cole, nor does Drew, but we're going to try our very best to make sense of it all. More importantly though, it once again means we've got a full house, and that means leading the line this week and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, not not too bad, Dan. Um, not a lot to do and not a lot has happened, but in all terms of things, I'm doing well, mate. Great to hear. And also, I can't forget your strike partner, which of course is Drew. So Drew, how have you been on the other side of the pond? Uh, I'm doing good. We're doing well over here. Trying to keep myself sane by reading Chelsea transfer rumors, even though I know 99% of them are false and never going to happen, but it's as close as I can get to real football. I think it, well, this is real football in a sense, isn't it? So it's the, <laughs> it gets get closer to the real football cast. But uh, before we chat all things, well, is it football? Is it football coming back? Uh, I'll do the social media bits first. So let's talk about where you can find me on Twitter. That's Dan Tracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right then, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? I think we'll go to Germany. And rumours that this podcast will soon be renamed Das Fußballcast are unfounded at this present stage. <laughs> but who knows? You know, if they're sort of starting off, we might have a little bit of a lean towards Germany. However, it does look likely, Cole, that the Bundesliga is going to resume next weekend. And you just get a sense that football in general across the continent is just starting to slowly warm up again. 
Yeah, you, you're kind of hearing lots more rumours, um, aren't you, about teams are trying to plan, plan and, and get players back in, even if it's individual training as such. So, as you say, yeah, lots of lots of countries now starting to try and, I think, just get the wheels in motion to get things back up and running. Um, and Germany, obviously, planning to get going, going again very quickly. Um, I still think we may see a few weeks here back in the UK, but I think once you see one league get themselves up and running again, then I think obviously that just puts a little bit more pressure um, on everyone else to get going again um, and hopefully finish things off by the looks of it. Of course, Drew, if the Bundesliga is open for business, it certainly won't be business as usual. With the likelihood of stadiums being empty for, I guess, the rest of the calendar year, I can't see a fan entering a ground any sort of date of 2020. So that's no real surprise, I think, for anyone. But if we want football back, is that something we're going to have to get used to? Yeah, for the time being, that's definitely the case. I mean, I think Carl is right in that once one league gets back up and running, then others will feel more comfortable in doing the same, even though that is, and I agree with you, going to be behind closed doors, especially for the end of this season. Something I fear, though, is that if the Bundesliga comes back or whichever league follows that, the minute one player or one coach gets the coronavirus, everything's going to be shut down again. And so that's my big fear is I don't want to see that, right? I'm hoping for everything to be positive. I hope that the Bundesliga comes back in, I want to say it's like, you know, 10 or 12 days time very, very soon. And I hope everything goes well. And then I hope the next league comes back and it goes well also, right? I'm rooting to kick the coronavirus's ass and I hope that happens very, very soon. And then, of course, as fans, then fans can go back to stadiums quicker as well. So I'm hoping that this in the Bundesliga goes very smoothly, goes swimmingly well. I guess in a sense that someone's always got to be first. I mean, I know Belarus is sort of flying the flag and just sort of just carrying on regardless. <laughs> um, in the sense of everyone trying to get back into football in fashion, there's going to have to be someone who's going to have to be the leader. Germany will obviously be that, or we hope it to be. Obviously, everyone will be looking with a lot of attention, but you want it to go perfectly, don't you? In the sense that we don't want another, I don't know, what's the word, relapse or a, a cessation of action because then you think, okay, are we kicking the can further down the road? So it almost needs Germany to be the pet, pet project for a few weeks or maybe a few months. And then bit by bit, we'll start to sort of gradually see everything sort of come good or at least somewhere nearer to where we were, were in March. But, Drew, in terms of, oh, sorry, Carl, in terms of um, warming up, if you're in Holland, it's freezing cold because they've closed down matters for this season and a decision not to award an Erie Divisie may have had Liverpool fans sort of just twitching a bit nervously last week. Yeah, I think um, that that was the funny thing, wasn't it? When, when they decided and made that decision, to be honest with you, I kind of thought, well, this could be, the, you know, this could set the ball rolling because we discussed before, didn't we? I, I didn't realistically see any football coming back Um you know that we could possibly say play out this season um and i thought you know that they were just doing what we all thought the inevitable would be and i must admit as you say if you were a liverpool fan and when you saw that news breaking you probably thought oh god here we go because this could be you know the first country that again set the ball rolling that others just follow suit um but obviously we're finding that you know a week on from there uh, and you know certain countries are now looking to get get players back in and you do certainly feel that the prep work is being done to get some games going and try and finish off these seasons but 
I guess, you know, that is hopeful and wishful thinking. And as Drew said, you've only got to have one incident in one of these games for it all just to be, you know, kiboshed. And I guess one of the things that we really have to be careful of, and I guess this is probably going to be the biggest fear of possibly getting games going again, is that even if you do it behind closed doors, will we be able to stop supporters possibly turning up at grounds because you know that that could possibly happen you know will you have groups of supporters who want to try and turn up and stand outside the ground just to make some noise you know as that kind of you know ritual and you know cultural thing of no we want to be seen to be here supporting our club even if we can't be in the stadium and then obviously that starts bringing in the fear of policing and you know everything that comes with that and then obviously you won't be social distancing and then like I say you only need to see some instances of coronavirus coming from that and I think the authorities would be very quick to say no that's it because this can't be trusted you know you're going to have fans turning up so like as you say maybe Germany might take the lead and we see how they go but if things don't go as smoothly as they need to you might just see everyone going no look I don't think we can do this. Yeah I mean you raise a great point about fans outside grounds I've got a sort of sub questions that a bit later but in, let's say Liverpool if and when they do win the league, which if we get going again, they will. There's no way you're going to be able to stop fans from congregating around Anfield, are you, Carl? No, that, and that is the fear, isn't it, I guess? You know, if you suddenly get the season going again, and even if it's behind closed doors, if Liverpool are going to win their first title for as long as it's been, and the excitement has been building up all season for that, are you really going to stop those supporters going out and celebrating that? Will they be able to resist? You know, we're already seeing, aren't we, during a so-called lockdown, you know, the sun's only got to come out and people are over the park and, you know, out and about acting as though there's, there's nothing going wrong. So though all those Liverpool supporters who've been dying to see this title come home for them, um, I can't see that you're able to keep that under control and get those celebrations in check. Uh, and I guess those are the major points that possibly could be the stumbling block to getting things going again um, and, and maybe that's something that supporters just have to take on and take some responsibility for which is like listen we can get this going again but we need you to play your part and be sensible and because the minute you start turning up at grounds or, or you know organising parties or stuff it's game over because the main thing that the government will say is there's no fear that we start off a kick and a second spread um, and put ourselves in deeper trouble. Well, that would be the worst case scenario, wouldn't it, Drew? I mean, let's say, you know, not to pick on Liverpool fans, but just because they are going to win the league if it gets going. But let's say there's a congregation because you can't really stop fans getting in the street and celebrating if you've not won a league in 30 years. It just will happen. And even if the majority adhere to government principles, you will get a small minority who will do it. That's just... Just life. It's by the by. But, you know, what happens if it creates a second spike? Premier League goes back in the box. We're now four or five months down the line. It's going to be absolute sort of, well, disaster really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I think the thing right now is, as you guys kind of both alluded to, right, there is no guarantee. And I think if anyone imagines that supporters won't go outside of stadiums, as supporters won't congregate, I think is kind of naive. I mean, we've seen that. In the Champions League just a couple months ago, right, when uh, I believe, was it Sevilla or Valencia, whichever one, against Atalanta, I don't remember. They had fa fans outside their ground, PSG when they played Dortmund as well. And so definitely that's going to come to England as well and Premier League clubs. And it is going to be a big problem when it comes to Liverpool because 
It has been such this long wait. It has been all of this pressure for how good they've been, right? The anticipation of it, the fact that they were so close when the season was paused. So it is going to be a big issue, you know, how you mitigate that risk, how you keep people in their homes short of martial law. I mean, I, I really don't know. I would hope that people who are scared of the coronavirus, who who are, you know, higher risk or the ones who know that they've had it, you know, then hopefully they do stay home and avoid celebrations. But I mean, at some point we have to get back to people, you know, spending time together, back to people congregating. You know, maybe this is a good litmus test, as as weird as that sounds, or maybe as risky to some other people, maybe it would be a good litmus test to see, you know, how how dangerous this is going to be. Is this going to be a second spike? I'm not saying we should go and just test people right openly and, and you know, be, you know, whatever happens, happens. That's not what I mean. But at some point, people are going to have to leave their homes. You know, is that point now? Maybe that is. And so I'm hoping that, you know, Liverpool as a club, but just football in general can help, you know, everything get back to normal. Because like I said earlier, I'm rooting for this to end as soon as possible. And I'm hoping that football can help us get back to kind of a a sense of of normal uh, again. Yeah, absolutely. If we flip it back to uh, the Netherlands quickly, Drew, what do you make of the decision not to hand either Ajax or AZ a title this season? I guess with the closeness between the clubs, it would have been awfully unfair to pick a winner. Then again, it's perhaps more harsh on Campbell, who were 11 points clear in the second division and now won't be promoted. Yeah, well, when it comes to the top division in the in the Netherlands, right, AZ and Ajax were tied on points, uh, Ajax leading on goal difference. I can understand why they didn't want to give the title to either team because they hadn't won it. They were tied on points. Um, and I, and I get that. What I do like about what the Netherlands has done is they've put out some consistency, right? So there's no title, but there's also no promotion. There's also no relegation. And like you mentioned, the leaders in the second division have to feel all awful. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of lawsuits, whether from clubs in the first or second division, but I do like the consistency and I really hope, I really hope the Dutch Federation does not go back on this. I really hope that they show backbone and no matter how much people complain, they stick to it. And kind of like Carl talked about at the top of the show, this could be a signal to other leagues and say, look, hopefully this doesn't happen to you, but it might. Because don't forget, it was their um, government that, that extended the lockdown until September 1st. And just before we started recording today, Julian Laurence, the French journalist, said that in France they're going to be doing the same, extending the lockdown until August, which means that French football coming back probably isn't going to happen in the next couple months either. So I think you're going to see a lot more teams, or I'm sorry, leagues, kind of having their hand forced by the government, have to end up canceling like the Netherlands did. Well, this brings me very nicely onto my next point. So well done, Drew. Good setup here because literally in the last hour or so, our good friends at UEFA have declared that they want the intentions of all the remaining 54 nations, so obviously not Belarus because they're playing, they want a decision by May 25th (laughs) as to whether you're going to continue or you're going to wrap things up. So, Cole, I guess the question is, will many leagues go in a do their best to finish or will they go in the direction of the Dutch? I mean, will it be a case of, I guess, intentions one thing, but government decisions and government regulations will be another 
Yeah, I guess obviously, you know, we're seeing it here, aren't we, with the fact that some clubs are now opening up training grounds for individual training. You know, I mean, I think it's quite funny that they're opening up their training grounds and you're going to have one player go <laughs> onto one pitch um, just to do something. You know, it's a bit like, OK, that, that's going to be a lot of running that guy is going to do. You know, and he's practicing some set pieces could be interesting. You know, uh, who do you mark, etc. Um I guess what we're going to try and do, aren't we, by the looks of it, is some countries are going to try and test the water just to see what happens if they get people back in. Um, they might hope that the governments are going to kind of, you know, relax the relax the rules around lockdowns and stuff. And then I guess you've got to see what the appetite is and the, the pressure is from like the emergency services, um, the people who are going to have to be involved in those behind the scenes, because as we've said before, it, you know, there's still quite a few people that have got to be involved, even in a behind the scenes kind of uh, capacity. Um, I think one thing we might be forgetting is what the players actually want to do. I mean, do the players want to go back? You know, has anyone actually asked these players what they want to do? Do they feel at risk still? You know, are they prepared and happy to go back and possibly put their families at risk just to go and play some football? Um, I do think we're just going to try and see, you know, dip a toe in the water. But I still think there is an element where we could find that, you know, this all just gets kind of called off and people go, listen, it was a nice try. Would have been nice if we could get it back up and running again. But given the circumstances, we're still going to extend the lockdown again. And that puts, you know, that puts football on the back burner again. Um, but I think they're just going to try their best to see what they can do and see how they get on. Drew, if things get going in the Premier League, which we'll talk about in a minute, hypothetically, could the form book be thrown out the window because training schedules and training sort of manuals and all that kind of stuff will be thrown completely out the window. Like Cole alludes to, if you're a goalkeeper and you've got to keep your distance, unless I was booting the ball from about 60 metres away and you're trying to save it, you know, you can't really sort of have much goalkeeper training. It's just going to be such of a, sort of, I don't know, like a buffet of training at the moment. You know, you do your little bit, but we can't really train as a team. Like how much of an effect is that going to have when you finally hit the pitch and go 11 versus 11? Yeah, I mean, I think there could be a big drop off in quality because you're not going to have players on the ball, you know, even just in training for what, almost two months now, I think it's been. And however long this continues to go on, they're not working together for the most part. They're not able to really do, you know, I mean, can they even do rondos? Can they do two touch, you know, training drills? Probably not. And so I think you're going to see a real dip in quality from teams. And I think that's going to be across the board, whether that is, you know, teams at the top like Liverpool or teams down in the relegation zone like Norwich. I think you're going to see players who look very rusty. You're going to see players who don't have the greatest of first touches. Finishing, I think, is not going to be there. And so I think you're going to see a lot of problems for teams. That's not going to go very smoothly. And that is kind of how I wonder to myself, you know, people always talk about the integrity of the game. All these different things are happening. And I think it's not th this end of the season, the final nine or ten games, depending on which which club you are in the Premier League. I don't think it's going to be at the same standard as we're used to seeing, or as you know we saw in the beginning part of the season. So I think it is going to be a very different you know stretch run to the season because of all this that's happening, all the or the lack of training that players are unfortunately not able to participate in right now. Yeah, I mean, from a, a betting point of view, the landscape will change that completely. You know, you nullify something like home advantage or players that you thought were good. You know what I mean? The odds could be wild. There could be huge swings. So even from that aspect, bets that you may have placed 
outrights for sort of uh, a team to win a competition or something, or you know, teams to go down, that could change in its head. So there's all manner of things that could, I guess, be diverted because of a restart in the season. And Carl, one of these, when we activate Project Restart, is the serious question about neutral venues. How is that fair? And I understand why it might be happening, but if you've got 29 games played, home or away, and then you sit the last nine at St George's Park, you know, the integrity of the competition is a bit knackered there, isn't it? Yeah, for me, I don't see how you could do that. I mean, yeah, if you're going to finish the season and kind of had it have it hold its credibility, um, then for me, you need to start back up and, and everyone goes back to normal. You know, you now can't suddenly sit there and say, well, this team got to play the majority of their games at home and this team didn't. You know, they, they, their crucial games at the end of the season were played at a neutral venue. Um, I don't see that doesn't sit right with me, to be honest. You know, if you're going to start, you need to start it where everyone follows the same rules. You know, you still get your home games because if you if you're a team in that relegation zone and you've still got the majority of your games at home, then that's one of the things you're really holding could be something that sees you to safety and helps you get the points that are needed. Whereas suddenly you switch that all to neutral venues, you would kind kind of feel aggrieved and and rightly so again like as drew said earlier i would then see lots of suits being filed as to well hold on a minute you're relegating us but we weren't really playing in you know in a fair game um so i i can't see that being a realistic thing to me you've either got to go back as normal and if you can't do that and things like neutral grounds are being discussed then that's to me where you should just void or cancel the season because it, it wouldn't be fair on anybody yeah, I mean, Joe, I guess you could, I mean, I wouldn't personally, but you could counter the argument by saying that all these teams will be in the same boat playing in a neutral venue. But if you're a team seeding home advantage on, say, the what should have been the second week or second last week of the season, and you're not playing at home, you're playing at St George's Park, that's going to be something of an issue, isn't it? Especially if you're looking for points to stay up. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, Carl's right. You're going to see teams complaining. You're going to see fans complaining. And I think you're going to see a lot of lawsuits because of that, especially... If someone gets relegated and, you know, didn't have those home matches that, you know, they could have had the the, the supporters behind them. You know, an interesting idea that uh, Gab Marcotti, who works for ESPN, talked about was and, – and he cited the Premier League, but you could do this in a bunch of them in, in all the different leagues across Europe – is let's say the teams that are going to get relegated and then the teams from the division below them that are going to come up, let's say – we have them figure out an agreement amongst them. So let's say Norwich City says, you know what? We'll go down to the championship. That's fine. Leeds or West Brom, you can take our place. But the 150, 200, 300 million you're going to get from playing in the Premier League, we're going to split that. And you're going to give us some, you know, in exchange for, for our place in the Premier League. I think that's something that not just Norwich, but any team that might get relegated may be open too because i'm sure they all want to play they all want to be in the premier league and and don't get me wrong but i think a lot of it is because of money a lot of it is that you know you can't really survive in the championship on premier league wages on premier league expenses and so getting money and splitting it with whichever team replaces you may be a good solution that help you out plus on top of parachute payments and all of the things like that so I, I wonder, I thought this was a great idea from Gab Marcotti, and I'm wondering if teams in the Premier League or, again, other leagues in Europe might want to consider this because it may be a quicker and easier solution than trying to, you know, sue everybody up to Ying Yang, which would take, you know, 
what a dozen years or something. So, so I'm wondering how, how this might play out. I think that's a great idea. It's an interesting concept. I think you'd have to run it past fans if you were a club involved. So if you were Norwich and said, look, would you take the 150? Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not quite cut and dry, but if clubs for selling their places, I mean, it's not uh, something we've seen before. I think, well, I mean, maybe in sort of the lower leagues, I think Mexico sometimes gets clubs bought into the top league. I mean, it has happened, but it's not mainstream. That's the best way to put it. So, I mean, if that came into play, I think there'd be all kinds of minefields being a set out but you know don't put it past anyone because it's uncertain times and different things are happening so it's not the worst idea but whether it comes to fruition we'll have to wait and see but another thing to consider Cole player testing if this does get going again we've mentioned neutral venues so could we see whole squads go to camp like at the World Cup and if so can you envisage say 500 odd players all in bunk beds at St George's Park <laughs> it's an interesting idea, isn't it? You know, you certainly test your certainly test your team uh, and caper capabilities and and likingness there, wouldn't you? You can see some massive um, training ground bust ups if that's done. Um, I, I guess the problem that they're going to have here is, given the seriousness of this and the fact, obviously, you know, there's limited tests and stuff like that. I don't think it'd sit too well with the public, would it? That suddenly, all of a sudden, just for football. You've got people that some may assume, well, why are these people getting tested when there's others out there that need these tests or should be getting these tests before a footballer um, just so that they can go and play football again? So I think that's the that's the problem that I think they'll have is I, I, I think there'd be a backlash and it wouldn't go down well with the mainstream public. Because, you know, and quite rightly in a way, you know, if there's if there's limited tests, then why why are you just bunking up a load of footballers just to go and play football again when there probably are, you know, more important people out there who could do with those tests? Um, you know, if there was an unlimited supply, then, yeah, not a problem. But we know that isn't the case. So I, I guess, as you say, if that neutral venue and, you know, kind of hoarding players in that situation and making sure they all get a test... Um, I don't see that one flying because, and as well, if you're going to test all the footballers, then are you going to test everyone who's got to be involved in those behind the closed doors um, games? Because as we say, it's not just the footballers involved. There are going to be staff that have to attend, you know, police, medical people that are there. So do they all qualify for the test? And, and then, you know, you're starting to look at silly numbers uh, and amount of tests that you can do dwindling. And, and in the grand scheme of things, just for a game of football, I, I'm not sure that will fly. Yeah, I think you're right, to be honest. I think the strain on testing already is prevalent. You know, it's a real sort of uh, political football at the moment, and rightly so. But, you know, if you try and sort of take that element of testing to football and you think, hang on, you're not really sort of helping the rest of the country. And Yeah, football might give you a feel-good factor when it's back, but you have to sort of weigh that up against the sort of the state of the nation, really. And I don't think we're really in a position to start going, off you go, take these tests and finish your season. So I think that's going to be a difficult one to uh, to get over the line. But Drew, let's, you know, worst case scenario, God forbid this happens, but let's say if a player passed away after contracting COVID-19, obviously Premier League players, they're peak physical specimens, aren't they? You know, the peak of fitness and all that. But if such a scenario was to play out, the litigation involved would be absolutely enormous, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, every lawyer in the world will be doing this pro bono just for the exposure and the fame and the notoriety. So, you know, the player's surviving family would have no shortage of, of help. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's another risk factor that the Premier League and, and FIFA and UEFA are considering right now. Because even though, you know, for, from what I read, uh, 
you know, the coronavirus doesn't uh, seem to affect people in good health. It doesn't seem to affect people, you know, that aren't geriatrics. And obviously footballers don't fall into that category. So most likely nothing would happen. But but obviously you never know. And, and that is a big risk. And like you said, you know, the amount of lawsuits and litigation coming after that would be enormous. And that's something that the Premier League would have to address. I can only assume that they, and, and again, UEFA, FIFA, have millions upon millions of dollars of insurance policies and, and whether you can predict a pandemic like this or not, I'm sure they would have something that accounts for this and, and hopefully takes care of it. But again, that is a big risk. And I think PR-wise, that would be a huge, huge nightmare, not just to you know the Premier League, but I think to, to football in general. And like how Carl was talking about with, with kit testing, I think the same thing. I think a lot of people in public would say, well, hold on here. It's just a game. There's absolutely no way this should be going on. And it, it's just tough, you know, in the court of public opinion to to get past anything devastating like that, like like a death that, that could happen. Um, but even now, I mean, it, it's proving a problem in terms of, of coming back just to play or even to train. So, I mean, ramping it up a million times with a far worse scenario would just be an utter, you know, public relations disaster for the Premier League or uh, any individual club. Do you know what I'd be interested in, Dan, is uh, it would be interesting to see what the players' views on this is, yeah. wouldn't it? You know, are the players keen to go back and play or are players actually sitting there going, we've got no real interest in going back and playing because we don't want to take the, the risk health-wise. You know, the bottom line is, yeah, as we say, you you kind of, the opinion is, is that if you're healthy, fit and healthy with no underlying issues, you might just, you know, like yourself, Dan, you know, you might just feel rough for a few, if you're a little bit and, and you recover fully. But we've seen there's instances where people are dying who've got no, no medical, you know, conditions or anything like that. So as a footballer, you know, do they have the appetite to go back and play? Because as well, if they don't have the appetite to go back, you know, I can imagine if you're a Liverpool player, you want to go back because you want that league title and you want to win something. But if you're a mid-table side who's got nothing now to play for, are those players prepared or do they want to put themselves in, in an environment where they could be at risk? It's not only them they've got to think about, is it? It's who are they going home to? Who are they going to be around? Do they want to potentially put someone else at risk? You know, I, I, it would be interesting to know what the footballers themselves' opinion on going back is. You know, are they keen or are they almost being forced to go back right now? Um and it, I'd love to see a poll on that if you asked all the players in the league what do you want to do because I think we'd probably find the numbers of those that say we're not really interested in playing football right now. I reckon that'd be higher than most people think. Yeah, it's a very good point, actually. I mean, if you're, let's say, a Crystal Palace player, you've got nothing to play for by the nine games to finish the season, you can't go up, you can't go down, you're not going to threaten Europe. Obviously, you can't go up anyway, you're in the Premier League, but you know what I mean. Um, you're just thinking, obviously, you, I guess the public image would be like, yeah, can't wait to get going again. But if you're... John, are you? Are you really that bothered? Probably not. And also, Drew, when we consider Roy Hodgson and his age, now in the UK, a lot has been made about shielding the elderly. Understandable, because they're the most at risk. So, at his age, will he even be allowed on any touchline, be that St George's Park or Selhurst Park? The Premier League can't seem to be ageist, but they can't seem to be reckless either. So it's a bit of a difficult situation for our old boy. 
It's a good. It's a good job Pellegrini's not around because he looked dead <laughs> yeah, before this. Right, be another one. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I think that that's a completely valid concern, and I don't think there's any way that Roy Hodgson or, or you know, Crystal Palace would want him to be managing, you know, from afar or, or managing you know, watching the game on a drone film beamed into his house or something. I don't think anyone <laughs> involved in, in the matches would want that to happen. But unfortunately, I almost wonder if that would be the case. Because I'm sure Roy Hodgson's family, and, and like we talked about with possible litigation, uh, Crystal Palace and the Premier League wouldn't want any sort of risk like that. So, I mean, that that's another interesting conundrum. And, and you know, beyond managers, but other other coaching staff – other people that would have to help work in in the stadium, you know, stewards and, and things like that. Uh, people who help in, in the dressing rooms or the security guards out of there. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people that, like you mentioned, Dan, may be in that range where they are the, the more uh, risk uh, – they have to be more risk averse right now and they can't really – uh, take that chance. So that would have a you know an effect on, on Crystal Palace as well. And so that's why, you know, I, I think with all these things about finishing the league, we have to, and sporting integrity, that's why I think sporting integrity to me is out the window at this point because you have to make so many concessions and changes, which are understandable. But to me, this isn't really sporting integrity any, anymore uh, at this point. The big leagues, the Premier League, you know, La Liga, the teams that make significant TV money, they're going to have to try and force this through. They're going to have to try and earn as much of that revenue as they can. But if you're a smaller league, like we talked about with the Netherlands or, or you know, even Belgium before, I don't – the championship in England, I don't know how much it really benefits these teams to, to play without fans in the stadium. So like Carl mentioned, are players going to want to play? Jordan Ayew, does he really need to play the last nine games of the season if his manager can't show up and other you know players don't want to? I think a lot of these things are you know huge considerations and – when money is at at play, you know, it a lot of times money is going to be the driving factor and I think that's what you see here with the Premier League, La Liga, UEFA, you know, whoever it is. Uh money is, is kind of at the root of of their opinions and and what they're trying to do right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's all about money. I think we can all be agreeing agreement with that. I mean, I don't think it's even a secret if we're honest, but um in terms of money and the Premier League, if project restart gets going, Cole TV and it could be a TV free for all, which means it may lessen the risk of fans going to the grounds. I know we sort of discussed that a bit more earlier of Liverpool if they do go on and win the title and all that. But at least if this plan goes ahead, you could watch a match on BBC. So it might only be Burnley Newcastle, but at least it'll keep fans at home and allow you to watch a bit of football while everyone's sort of trying to get the Moon of the Nation recovered. Yeah, I think that'd be a cracking idea as well, wouldn't it, Dan? You know, if you get the BBC and ITV here and suddenly you can get some agreement that kind of says, listen, let's do everything we can so we make sure people don't feel the need that they have to go to a ground just to try and be involved. So, yes, you know, you Sky and BT may pick off the, the creme de la creme of the games that are remaining. But, yeah, why not open it up and open the floor up and say, listen, if we can get if if Brighton Burnley can be on the BBC one day, there'll be enough people that want to watch it. And if that helps keep people at home so they don't feel the need to go to the ground to be involved or anything like that. And as we say, 
uh, you know, if it lifts the mood slightly and kind of, you know, gets everyone, you know, well, there's a reason not to go out today because there is a game of football on I want to watch or there's a couple of games today I can stay in, then I think that's a cracking idea. And, and for me, it is something that, that should happen. And, and the government should say, yeah, you know, that, that's divvy this up and let's get as much of this on telly as we can across all channels and give people something to kind of enjoy. I mean, we have, Drew, we're having it here at the moment on weekends on BBC and ITV where they're playing old FA Cup semi-finals and stuff like that. And I reckon, Dan, that's probably getting as many viewers um, as, as matter of the day on a normal Saturday. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Some of those old classics. I mean, the other weekend we had the semi-finals, didn't we? Liverpool Palace and United Oldham, and oh, what games they were, you know. And anyone who's watching that would have loved it. And and that hour of telly, it probably did everyone the world of good. So if you can get more games on across all the channels, then I think it just gives everyone a lift and encourages the people to stay at home and get things done right. So I definitely think that would be an idea that should be should be floated. Of course, Drew, there is a sense that Sky Sports and BT will want to not only protect their investment, but also fatten out their rather bleak-looking schedules at the moment. If you've gone for the TV, guys, it's awful. So not quite as easy as just handing out games to other broadcasters, but you'd like to think that common sense in this situation would prevail. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think so. I, I think if you're Sky or BT, I mean, you're begging for, for any type of sports at this point. And, you know, something that I that I think could actually be a really big positive out of, out of this you know as much as we can see it that way is i hope that and, and this doesn't even affect you know me here in the states but i hope the 3 p.m saturday ban gets lifted and part of it you could argue is you know let's say we're easing back into supporters going to stadiums and, and whatnot well then playing matches at three o'clock it's kind of the same thing that carl talked about it would allow fans to say you know what I don't I don't feel comfortable going to the game right now. So you know what? At least I can watch it on on TV. Or for fans who are like, you know what? I'll go. I don't I'm not nervous. I I think we'll be okay. Well then it's obviously much easier for them to to go to the stadium. There's probably more tickets available because less people are willing to go. So I hope the 3 p.m. ban gets lifted because I think it's archaic. I think it's unnecessary. And I think it actually might help in these times, especially for people who, who might be too scared or think, you know, we're, we're opening back up too early and things like that. We'll let them continue to stay at home while, you know, kind of the rest of us get back to our our normal lives. So for Sky, BT or even, you know, BBC and ITV, I think this is great. I hope that they're able to get all the different games on TV uh, free to air or not, and I hope that it also leads to to better things in the future, such as lifting the 3 p.m. ban. On the flip side, Carl, it wouldn't be a good PR look for Sky and BT if they were seen to be hoarding all these remaining 92 matches. I guess there's no point triumphing a return to football only to then see it go behind its usual paywall. Yeah, it would just be bad PR, wouldn't it? And And you'd like to think that right now, there's some easy PR to be had and some easy goodwill to kind of get everyone on your side. And possibly when everything is back to normal, you might encourage more people then to actually join or subscribe to your channel because, you know, they've got that good feeling towards you. Whereas, like as you say, if people found out, well, we tried to get all these games that Sky and BT refused and they didn't want to, then I think you'd just push more people to say, well, do you know what? Two fingers up to them. Uh, we'll boycott those and, and we'll just turn to streaming and stuff like that. And then eventually those companies will just lose more people than they, they could gain by just have getting themselves a bit of good PR. You know, I think right now 
good PR is everything because I think, you know, people have long memories and those that kind of cause problems in this in this period will be remembered for a long while and people will just turn away from them uh, when everything's back to normal. So if you're Sky or the BT and you're in charge, I think you'd have to say, listen, yes, you know, we might lose some money here and it might not be what we want to do, but for the greater good and for the greater good of us as a company going forward, that's just, you know, that's just take a knee and, and let let this go. And um, and hopefully we come out looking good for it. And then, you know, we're, we're solid going forward. So, yeah, you'd like to think someone would make a good decision there. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's going to do more damage if they keep them to themselves. You could give BBC ITV, I don't know, 10 matches each, 20 matches. You've still got 72 left to share between the proper paywall broadcasters. That's more than enough. And I think that would just, just give... Football fans across the country, it's something to look forward to. You know, a bit of event television. You don't have to go out. Get your Saturday afternoons back. A bit of routine. I think it would be great. But hopefully, common sense will prevail. But, you know, there's always money involved. But we'll just have to wait and see on that front. Drew, you mentioned sporting integrity and how really it's not really a concept anymore. I think we're all trying to sort of just find a scenario that works or at least allows football to continue. Another one is substitutions and how there might be now five in a match. So... Does player welfare need to go that far? Is it another tweak of the rules which is unnecessary? Is it fair when we consider that three quarters of the season would only have three subs? What's your take on that? Yeah, well, so, I mean, the thing about this proposal, right, is is you'll get five substitutions, but you can only make substitutions three times. So you can't do any more time-wasting than clubs already do, which I think is a good caveat to insert. Um, I, I mean, for... The situation we're in in these circumstances, I understand the reason to have five substitutions. I don't know how many minutes it's really saving players' legs, though, because if if you are going for promotion, if you are battling relegation, then you're not going to be taking out your best players. You're not going to be taking out guys who have had a good match. You're not going to be resting them for you know a game in, in two days' time. So I don't really know how many minutes are going to be saved. And, and and even if you are using all five substitutions, what is it, for five or ten minutes of garbage time? Or if you're in mid-table and you have nothing to play for, well, you could have just played the kids or, or played the reserves anyways. So I, I get the idea behind this. I just don't know how much of an effect it's really going to have um, on – or I, I don't know if it's going to have the intended effect – that that it's going for so i i can appreciate the idea i just i i'm unsure at this point whether it's really going to work but this might be a good time to test it out because you know with the lack of sporting integrity to a certain degree and these unique circumstances you know maybe this is a time to see just like how they tested a fourth substitution and extra time before now let's see let's test five substitutions in three different windows during the match and see how that plays out. So I, I do like that aspect of it. Yeah, I guess if it was a sense of... Remember Cole International Friendlies in the second half, you'd have 11 subs. It would just kill the flow of the game, wouldn't it? You know, every five minutes, Sven-Goran <laughs> <laughs> Sven Eriksson would just whip another player off. He's thinking, oh, what is the point? So if you had structured subs and you knew that these were like the sub windows, that could at least improve the flow of the game going forward. So yes, you may sort of think, is five subs necessary? But sub windows might actually improve the game as a spectacle in the future. Yeah, I mean, again, it's another idea that I just think 
right, yeah, I don't think it, there's more important things we could change in the game than this subs rule. I, I guess if they're gonna, if they was gonna try it just to try and get us through this, um, you know, remainder of the season and, and help things out, I still go back to that feeling that then you know you're kind of putting an asterisk on everything that happens for that remainder of the season, aren't you? Because, you know, even if Liverpool win the league, there'll always be that, yeah, but that was a corona year, wasn't it? And obviously we had these changes, you know, games were at neutral venues. You had or you was allowed five subs. And I just think it, again, devalues or just makes you think, well, yeah, but that, that wasn't really a, you know, proper season was it in the end so you know everyone kind of forgets that one and rubs it off the history books I think we just need to stick to what we're doing as Drew said you know how much is it really saving I think if we go back and Palace was the the ultimate team we could pick there weren't they they're safe they're not going down they're not going to even challenge possibly for a European place or a title they're just going to go back. And I don't think you're going to see those teams take the remainder of the season seriously. You know, no. they're going to be on the beach massively. They're, they're going to probably play a side, you know, they'll make changes and bring youngsters in and give them games um, with the view to looking after their players more for the following season. Um, and, and I reckon you'll see some funky results come out of it where you just go, well, wow, look at that game, you know, 5-4 and well, this was silly, silly season because a lot of those teams will be like, we're not really into this. And then I just think it devalues the whole thing. And, and ideas like this for me just encourage that even more. If we're going to do it, let's do it properly. Home and away still. Same rules apply to apply at the start of the season, because at least then when you look back and it's all over, you can say, well, no, everything went back and it was seen out and played out the way it should have been. We'll still see some silly results because, as we said earlier, players will be well off the mark. So form goes out the window. Um, you know, Norwich will no longer be the underdogs, even against possibly Man City in the first game. You know, that could go anyway. Um, but yeah, to me, you know, I can see the uh, possible reason for the idea, but I just think we should stick to how it was. And Drew, the final note for you today, a quick dive over to MLS Corner. What's the state of play over there? Has the return been pushed back or is the pace speeding up like Europe? How close are you to kicking a soccer ball over the pond? Oh, man, it's not really close right now. I no? mean, there there are some states that, you know, not uh, soccer or, or football related that are kind of, you know, opening back up. Businesses are, are starting to operate again. Um, but MLS is, is not anywhere closer to coming back. And I... I want to say the the last I read was June right now. So so the way it's phrased right now is a training moratorium, uh, which is extended through I believe the end of May. So theoretically, only until June, you know, not until June could they come back. But I mean, MLS is going to have to change their schedule. They're already talking about. I mean, one big thing I, I'm sure you guys know this part that MLS doesn't play on the European schedule, that they play you know from spring to fall, and so one idea is to use this time to change over the calendar. They've only played two league games so far. So if, an idea right now is to hold out until August or September and start again then and essentially be playing on the European calendar. I don't think that's going to happen. I think MLS is going to try and come back sooner than that or hoping they can, obviously, with, with government uh, approval and all of that stuff. Um, but I, But I think also a big issue here is that something unique as compared to other countries is every state here is different, right? Every state can make their own and has made their own rules as, you know, according to the lockdown and what people can and can't do. 
So there is a situation where teams in MLS theoretically could play all 34 or however many games they play this year, 20-something, could be on the road. You know, if if a state like Seattle, where it first broke out, or New York, where that's had a big uh, impact, those teams could be forced to play all their games on the road, or they may have to to station themselves in another city for the season, and that would be their temporary home. So I think MLS also has a lot of unique challenges that aren't really going away anytime soon either, especially not for this season, no matter which way it comes back in any capacity. Surely, Drew, you just need to get some disinfectant and inject the players with disinfectant, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) That that would be good. Instead of Gatorade, you could just drink that. (laughs) Bloody hell. Right, on that very clean note, it's pretty much it for this week. So I just need to do a bit of admin and thank my two co-hosts. Drew, as always, an absolute pleasure. Thank you ever so much for your efforts this afternoon. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Always love talking to you, Dan, and you, Carl, as well. It's been great. Really enjoyed this one. And like I've been saying this whole time, I hope that football is back soon. I really hope so. And, Carl, as always, sterling effort. Thank you ever so much for your time. I look forward to doing it again next week, hopefully. Yeah, cheers, Dan. Really enjoyed talking to you guys. It, it kind of lifts the mood in a, in a bit of a gloomy-looking England today. So, yeah, this has been a brilliant hour. Yeah, it's pissing down rain outside, but that's not necessarily a bad thing either. Right, that's everything wrapped up. It goes without saying, but please stay safe. Do whatever your government tells you to do in terms of lockdowns. It won't be forever, but we all have to make this sacrifice. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.